Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here, guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Inside Curling. Uh, I'd like to fully recognize our sponsors and thank all of them. Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost is the sponsor of Mailbag. Coyote Tractor brings you hot rock topics and story time. We do it each and every week. It's sponsored by Meridian. And our guest segment is brought to you by Goldline. Uh, We hope everyone's been following every day since the start of the Olympics on our daily show. Uh, which has been a lot of fun. It drops every day around 1 o'clock, and we'll do it right through to the end of the uh, Olympics to bring you up to date on everything curling at the Games in Beijing. Uh, hey, Kevin. Hey, Warren. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Yeah, good. It's, did you guys get my cinnamon hearts, Kev? It's Valentine's weekend. Did you? <laughs> I, I said you. <laughs> they were out of flowers, so I went with the cinnamon hearts. Uh, I guess they're in the mail. <laughs> yeah, they must be. <laughs> uh, here's what's on the show today. A good number of provinces and territories held their playdowns this week uh, for their championships to see who will go to the Briar. So we're going to review that. Uh, This could be a very hot rock topic. Russia is suspended from the Olympics for doping, yet Russian athletes are allowed to compete under the name of the Russian Olympic Committee, ROC. Is that really restricting Russia from playing in the Olympics? I don't think so. I think we all know it's Russia. So we're going to take a look at that. Uh, mailbag. We got a ton of emails. And this week, we're going to take a look at one of the most interesting ones, a suggestion of how to reduce blank ends. Uh, we're very pleased we're going to be joined for our In the House segment by EJ Hardnett, who just won the Northern Ontario Playdowns to whip their way into the briar. It's his, I think it's his 13th or 14th briar. Uh, Kevin, you got a story for us. You've got some good ones, Martin, too, uh, that have been well, well received and funny. So, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. If you want to email us, uh, do it at, uh, insidecurling at gmail.com. Okay. Let's get to it, boys. What's happening around the curling world is brought to you by Sports Interaction, providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker and you got to be 19 and play responsibly. Okay. Warren, provincial playdowns getting set for the briar coming up next month. What do you got for us? Okay. We'll start from the West Coast and move east. In BC, determined a couple of weeks ago, veteran player Brent Pierce is going back to the Briar. In Alberta, no surprise there, Kevin Cooey will represent that province. Yesterday, the playoff in Saskatchewan was between Colton Flash and Matt Dunstan. Flash won that. In Manitoba, Mike McEwen's going to be the representative. He defeated the combination of Lot Simmons. In Ontario, interesting one here, veteran Glenn Howard is going back to the Briar again, but... Glenn wasn't playing. It was his son, Scott, that was skipping the team, and they defeated John Epping in the Ontario playoff. 
Brad Jacobs won Northern Ontario again. Quebec does not have a playoff schedule. What's going to take place, according to Felix Asselin, telling me yesterday that the association is going to determine a representative that that'll be known by February 16th because that's the deadline. In New Brunswick, another perennial winner, Jim Grattan. He's back again out of Nova Scotia. Paul Fleming, and it appears from what I can dig out that that team was appointed because he did not run a playoff. Tried to find something about PEI, nothing on their website, no information as to what's taking place there, so we don't know. Newfoundland Labrador had a playoff. Nathan was the winner. Again, Yukon, the same as PEI. Can't seem to find out what's going on there. Nothing on their website. Northwest Territories, Jamie Cooey, again, was the winner from that area. Nunavut, Wade Kingdon, and of course, Team Canada will be Brendan Botcher. So the interesting thing is now there's going to be three wildcard teams appointed, I would suspect, over the next week or so, maybe quicker. The interesting one is going to be Brad Gushu, who, of course, is playing in the Olympics, but would certainly be eligible as wildcard, being number one in the world at the moment, or certainly in Canada. Will he be asked to play? Will he play? The teams, as I see it right now, if Brad Gushu does not participate, Matt Dunstan, who is currently ranked number five, Tanner Horgan, who's number nine, and the Pat Simmons-Lott combination, who are number 12. That's the way I would see it if Gushu isn't going to be considered. Do you possibly think, Warren, that Gushu, if he can go to the Briar, would not go to the Briar? Well, I guess, Kevin, I'm not sure whether they would ask him or where that all sits. Nobody seems to be saying anything. So maybe it's kind of been left out there to see what he does with the Olympics and kind of see how he's feeling and... um, Maybe they will ask him. I'm certainly, if Brad is a medal winner, I think they would love to have him in the briar. It would certainly be an added attraction. So uh, we'll wait and see. Kev, there may be hope for you, Warren. Did you say one of the skips from the Maritimes is 53 years old? Brett Pierce. Wow. Maybe there's both hope for both of you to go back to the briar. You too, Warren. <laughs> uh, it'll have to be a stick briar, Jim, if I'm going okay. to play in it because uh, my, my left knee wouldn't quite agree to it. <laughs> yeah, you and I were talking last night about how uh, as we get older, we can't, our, our golf swings can't ever get shorter and shorter and shorter. So uh, it would be as tough to curl. Now it's time for Hot Rock Topics. Uh, and this could be a hot one, a sizzling one. Uh, it's brought to you by Coyote Tractor, proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. Uh, so let me read this, boys, and get your reaction on all of this. Uh, it's a little, uh, a little off the page for us, but uh, quite interesting. Russia has been suspended by the IOC for doping, so the result is Russian athletes can compete, but not under the Russian flag and must be called the representatives of the Russian Olympic Committee. I guess the first question is, does anyone think this isn't Russia? Uh, <laughs> no, would be. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, a 50-year-old Russian figure skater, uh, it was revealed a few days ago, tested positive for a banned substance before arriving in Beijing. Because Camilla Valeva competed in the team event, helping Russia win gold. The resolution of her case could also have an impact for skaters on three different teams, the U.S., Japan, and Canada. If Russia is disqualified, those three teams would be upgraded to gold, silver, and bronze in the team event, respectively. Yet no one will say anything except it's all under review. I thought this thing was supposed to be handled last Sunday. In 2018, curling was touched by doping when Russian bronze medalist Alexander Kruzelnitsky was banned for four years for testing positive and had to return the bronze medal. Uh, kind of makes everyone scratch their head about this thing. Why are Russian athletes even allowed in the Olympics? Uh, I know Dick Pound said maybe it's time for a big timeout uh, for, for Russia. Uh, Warren, what do you think of all this? 
Yeah, I think it's getting crazy. Another announcement out this morning that uh, internal review committee that looked at this entire situation with the young Russian girl who's, I might add, only 15 years old, so she's a, a minor. And so they're kind of trying to overlook it to some degree because of her age. But somebody here, an adult, needs to be held accountable for what's taking place here. And they don't seem to be too interested in doing it because she's going to be skating again in, uh, I believe, the singles competition here in the next couple of days. And as of today, they have said she can go ahead and do that. They're going to review it further, and there's going to be a decision made later in the year with regard to this whole doping issue. And so th this is becoming crazy. I think uh, the aspect of the Olympics and, and drugging, I think if uh, an athlete is uh, – found to have drugs in their system, I think they've got to be gone immediately. I don't care what their age is. I think if more than one athlete from a country has anything tied with uh, doping at any one Olympics, that country should be suspended probably for a, a period of time. Uh, if they don't get tough with it, uh, particularly with Russia, it's just going to get crazy. So I don't understand where they're going, that we have to call them the ROC versus Russia. They can't fly the flag. Yet uh, the president of Russia shows up for the opening ceremonies, and that seems to be okay, too. So really a lot of mixed messaging here, and I think the, the IOC has to really clean up their act in this whole thing. Kevin, what do you think? Well, I don't, I don't know the story with the figure skaters, so I, I don't want to go into there at all. Just from a, from a purist with sports, you just want a level playing field. Everybody that plays sport, you just want to walk on the field and everybody have a chance to compete fairly. And so... When there is situations where uh, drugging has happened, uh, I think you need to really stamp it out quick so that the field continues to be level. That's, that's my feeling. I'm not like dwelling on one situation or one this, one that isn't really what I'm doing. For me, it's just we need to do whatever is necessary to keep the level playing field. And if you let things slide, it's going to get worse, not better. Like just ignoring is not a good idea. So it, it has to be dealt with, has to be dealt firmly. And right now it's not being dealt firmly, obviously, because we're talking about it and there's lots of, well, it's just, it's kind of messy right now, to be honest, to have people competing that have tested positive just doesn't send a very good message. And I'm just not sure the playing field is as level as it should be. And I think that's really important for all athletes that are, are competing. Yeah, Kev, do you, you know, what, what might seem unfair uh, when it comes to doping you know, if one, if one guy on a bobsled team for Team Canada tests positive, should it wipe out the whole country's entry into the Olympics? That seems a little heavy. Right. And that, that these are all the decisions that are going to have to be made. And the rules are going to have to be strict and adhered to. Um, when Before 2010, so when it comes to medication, just so everybody knows, so I've got asthma and I take a puffer. So before the 2010 Olympics, so I had to go into some testing because I wanted to take the puffer with me to the Olympic Games. And it's not allowed unless you can prove that you have the lung problems that you know, would, would have you need uh, Ventolin. So anyway, I went into all these testing and, uh, and they put me on a bike and I had to go to a certain speed for a certain amount of time. And then in the first case, they gave me this super strong, I don't know what it was, some sort of a medication, not Ventolin that I normally take, but this other type. Well, my God, I have never felt that good. Like my lungs were wide open. Like I, I went on the bike again. I've never felt so good. It was clear. My lungs were clear. I could just give her. It was amazing. Anyway, then I go on the bike a couple hours later when I had nothing. And then they tested my capacity in my lungs with and without. And it was deemed that I had asthma. Well, no doubt. But then, um, then I was allowed, for, I could, I was allowed to take 
the Ventolin. It was approved. So when it comes to uh, medication that people take because of conditions they have in Canada, like it's already known what you have uh, approved for whatever you have in your life. So that's kind of weird that any athlete would have, would take a medication that wouldn't have already been approved. I, I, I couldn't have taken the Ventolin into the, into the village. If I was tested for it, I would have been positive. Like I, I would have been a positive test, but of course it was all pre-done before making sure I had the ailment that I said I did. So then it was fine to take the drug I do. Well, what's kind of amazing on this one, um, Warren, is is how do you possibly take a medication but have not checked whether it's on the list of banned substances? This doping has been around for a long time now, right? Where it came to the forefront um, a long time ago. How, I, I don't get it at all that we go, oh, okay, we, we overlooked that one and now, we're, and now we're suspended. You know what I'm saying, Warren? I, I think whatever's going on with Russia, it's not... Uh... It's not by accident because these athletes are all very, very careful. So I don't think that's the issue at all. But I guess time will tell what's going to happen there. Drop us an email if you want to weigh in on that subject or anyone, any other subject. Uh, that's Hot Rock Topics. Uh, thanks a lot to Coyote Tractor for bringing that each and every week. Okay, now it's time for uh, Mailbag, uh, brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost, which I do. Convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. Dave Bullock writes us an email from Castlegar, BC. Why not alternate hammer every end so each team is guaranteed an equal number of last rocks? Would there be less incentive to blank ends? The winner of the uh, draw to the button would have the choice of hammer in the odd or even ends. So let's go with you, Kev. Well, um, it's not a ridiculous uh, idea, I don't think, other than, um, if, let's say it's an eight-end game. It doesn't matter, eight or ten. If I win the, the draw to the button, I get hammer and all the evens. I get I get in two, four, six, and eight. It's a dream. It's an absolute dream. Brad Gushu is probably the probably the best at it right now and in controlling the hammer. And if you watch Brad Gushu play, when he's playing well and wins all the time, he magically has hammer in four, six, and eight, or six, eight, and ten in a ten end game. Uh, and if you can do that, you're going to win most of the time. So that's the only problem I see with this alternating at every end is whoever gets hammer in the even ends are going to win a lot um, because you want that hammer coming home. It's a, just a huge advantage. Um, so that would be the only problem. I guess you could maybe look at deciding if you wanted to have hammer in two and four and then switch it around like in football where uh, you can receive in the one half and then the other team receives in the second half. Maybe you have hammer in two and four five and seven, I suppose, maybe. Uh, but you sure couldn't give one team hammer in two, four, six, eight, and ten. Oh, my goodness. That team would be jumping, doing backflips. I think David has uh, maybe the right idea, but I think quite not the uh, the positioning I would do. I think something that could really be looked at would be to have the choice at the start of the game. If it's a 10-end game, do you want first rock in the first end or the sixth end, but you don't get both? And I think that would change a whole pile of things and the fact that it would balance things out considerably because the hammer has become so important right now, particularly in the 8 end game. If you have hammer uh, and you're a good team, uh, no matter how good the team is you're playing against, and we saw that in the trials final between Jacobs and Gushu, um, as soon as you've got that hammer, you've got the edge. And uh, if you're playing really well, it's going to be hard to take that away from you. But if you've got a choice, first or sixth end, 
um, I think that changes things considerably. So that's one I think that could be looked at and maybe should be tried to see what, what it does. We, sh- we sure get a lot of emails and input on our Facebook page and everything with people who want to change the game. I like the 10 game. I, I don't mind the way it is, but. Uh, Jim? <laughs> you know, I knew Warren wouldn't like this, Kevin. I knew he wouldn't <laughs> like this. <laughs> it's got to go because of, of the length of, time, length of time involved and where everything is heading. Um, it'll kill us if that continues. Uh, if we read your email on the show, uh, you are, in fact, going to win something. Uh, Warren's written a book called Sticks and Stones. And, uh, David, you are now the winner of a uh, digital copy of that. Congratulations. Appreciate it. We'll be sending you a code, and you will get Warren's book. Warren, and that book is out now, right? It's in all sorts of places? It's out there, yes. <clears throat> the number one place to probably find it is on the uh, website that I have for the book, which is warrenhansenauthor.com. It's in some bookstores, but not all. So that's the best place to look for it. Okay, that was Mailbag. Thanks a lot, everyone, for uh, sending us your emails. InsideCurling at gmail.com and Nestle Boost. We appreciate them sponsoring that segment. Well, one of my favorite segments of the show that we do each and every week is called In the House, where we bring on a guest. Uh, In the House is brought to you by Goldline. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world. Plus, there are retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. And this week's guest, fresh off a huge victory in Northern Ontario, is E.J. Harnden, Briar champion, Grand Slam champion, Olympic gold medalist. And he joins us now on the show, freshly crowned and on his way to the Briar. There he is knocking. Come on in, EJ. How are you, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Break it down for us. How was, how, how was the, the play downs here? You won in a close game at the end. How was the whole week? It was good. Uh, we won in an extra end. Uh, so it was, it was uh, maybe a little tighter than we had to anticipated but always knowing that you know we're going to get uh, everyone's best game in, in northern ontario and interprovincials always knowing that it's going to be you know tough and it's going to be a battle and uh so this time we were able to you know kind of be able to make it through a, a really tough game against a really good opponent and and we we're able to do it here in sault st marie ontario actually our provincials were in uh at sioux curlers here in, in our hometown of sault st marie after they were postponed uh, earlier due to covid and, and restrictions um, so we were able to win and win at home. So uh, it was it was great. How did they manage it all with COVID, uh, EJ? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, so sure. Just, so just taking a quick step back, where our provincials were originally supposed to be in Kenora, um, same time as the uh, the Scotties. So they were going to have the Scotties provincials. So they were going to have the men's and women's uh, at the beginning of February. Um, and uh, that was postponed due to, to COVID and, and some of the Ontario restrictions. And then, so we were able to reschedule here for, for Sault Ste. Marie um, this past week. So we uh, started on Thursday, uh, ended on Sunday. It was 16 round robin, uh, top two teams uh, straight to the final, and then the final on Sunday. And, and so there was uh, no testing or anything actually in place. They had uh, kind of bubbled it off uh, for the players. Um, so all the, you know, typical restrictions in terms of making sure that we came to the uh, to the rink uh, dressed uh, no kind of contact with ourselves and, and and the fans there was 
a small amount of people that were able to watch from the upstairs kind of viewing area. Uh, and then uh, just ourselves uh, on the ice and then the sheets kind of distanced apart. So, you know, they did as, as much as they could in order to make sure that uh, there was a safe environment for, for us as, as the players. And, and I thought they did a really good job and everyone felt uh, really comfortable there. And, and uh, we we're all really grateful and happy that we were able to have the event. Yeah, cool. Before we bring in the boys, we were just talking before you came on. And I never realized this. Of course, you uh, and your brother on the, uh, and Brad have been together a long time. I would just assume that you've been to 13 Briars with Brad as the skip, but that's not the case. Who who was on your team at your first Briar? Yeah, sure. So um, it was my father, Eric, who was the skip. I played third. Uh, my brother, Ryan, played second. Caleb Flaxy was our lead. Uh, and Brad was actually our alternate. Um, and so he came with us. Brad went to his first Briar in 2007 with our uncle, Al. Kevin, I, I think he might have beat you there. Uh, but uh, <laughs> they did. <laughs> but we actually, yeah, we actually played against Brad uh, in 2008. We weren't playing together, and then we formed our our team after that in 2009. Uh, so our first Briar was my myself, my my brother, my father Caleb, and then uh, Brad uh, as our alternate. Let's start with the Olympics. Let's go to the Olympics because it's it's on right now, and uh, you being Olympic gold medalist. Um, Canada seems to be doing okay now. What are your thoughts on uh, on our Canadian teams? Like, obviously, let's stay away from the mixed doubles. Let's talk men's and women's here. I'd love to get your thoughts on it because everybody was sort of panicking early with with Jennifer being at one and three, and Brad even was struggling a little bit for a couple of games. But uh, your thoughts on how our teams are doing and the pressure that they feel uh, wearing that maple leaf? Yeah, you know what? I I, I think they're doing quite well. Um, I think, you know, the days of, of Canada being winning every single game and being undefeated and, and, you know, guaranteed to win an Olympic gold medal or a medal for that matter is gone. And, you know, the expectation should be a little bit more that Canada is going to have to battle for a playoff spot. And then once they get themselves into the playoffs, if they do that, you know, it's, it's not going to be a guarantee for a medal or, or for gold. And, so I think they're doing extremely well. They probably had the expectations uh, amongst themselves that they were going to have to battle and there'll be a few losses in there and, and not a perfect record. Um, and I go back to our experience. I mean, we started one and two, right? We won our first game. We lost two. Um, we, we found out very quickly, I think, uh, by putting ourselves on social media, you know, the pressure that comes with being Team Canada and learning very quickly that we needed to separate ourselves from that. And then we just, you know, we did a really good job of, of kind of coming together um, and just focusing in on what was within our control. And I think you're seeing both of the men's and women's teams doing that right now, right? Is they've lost a couple of games um, and maybe not had their best at times, but I think they're doing a really, really good job of just staying within the moment and focusing in on what they can control, which is the next game in front of them and more importantly, the next shot. And so I think they're, they're in a really good, uh, really good spot with the games that they have left. And, you know, the main objective is get yourself into that playoff round and then anything can happen. And that's where I think the experience from Brad and Jen uh, will shine. You know, Warren brought up a really good point earlier today um, with the, the draw of the button, the, the last shot challenge. And Canada's actually didn't do very well with that in the mixed doubles or the women's or the men's. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on your, uh, your regimen, your practice regimen as to stepping on the ice and nobody's thrown any rocks yet, and now you need to be able to throw your in-turn and out-turn, clockwise, counterclockwise, whichever you want to look at it, to start the game and have both draws count. 
Um, it's become so important now that there aren't any tiebreakers at the world uh, level events. Um, how does your team do it so that when you guys step on the ice and you have to do the two draws total distance to have your best chance possible? Because uh, it just seems to be quite a co- coincidence that our mixed doubles, our women's and our men's are all struggling in that regard. And it's so important. Is there something that maybe we're kind of leaving out of our, our training that's uh, slowing us down in that regard? Well, I think you could bring up a good point, Kevin. I mean, the first time that we had to to actually uh, go through that was was at the trials. I, I would say, you know, probably with most teams, we're very thorough in our approach. And so we had it mapped out, you know, who was going to throw, what turn, what draw, with who, right? And who's holding the broom, who's sweeping, all those sorts of different things. And then based on your opponent. And so I think, you know, really it comes down to exactly what you just said is is having the proper preparation in place and then being able to practice it. Um, I'm sure Brad and, and Jen and, and their teams went through that process in their pre-event uh, practice, you know, even in quarantine and their, their practice sessions leading up to the Olympics. And I think it's unfortunately one of those things that we're going to have to kind of continue to get used to and, and put in as part of our development and, and practice routine outside of competition. And I, I would say at times, you know, maybe um, maybe it's true or not. I, I'm not sure. I kind of get the sense of this when, you know, when looking at some of the other world teams, I feel like, you know, these are some of the things that probably they have been practicing for a longer period of time or as part of their kind of practice routines. And it's especially when all members are together at all times. So it's just, again, it's a little bit different approach or a little bit different kind of makeup between our, our teams and, and some of the other world teams. Over the interviews that, that I've done with a whole bunch of the curlers this fall <clears throat> at the Grand Slam, um, in regards to the draw of the button, I know that some of the European teams will actually go into their building of six sheets or eight sheets, whatever the building is. The ice maker will make all the sheets ready to go for that particular team. And when they're practicing their last stone draw, they'll go to the end sheet, step on a brand new sheet. They do the exact practice amount of minutes and then the outturn intern draw. Then they go to the next sheet, brand new sheet. And they, they do their practice time, outturn intern draw. Next sheet, next sheet, next sheet, next sheet. And that's how they start their practice session is by doing the last stone draw, counterclockwise, clockwise, and on a brand new sheet, so it replicates exactly what you have to go through at the start of a game. And they do it on all the sheets across the board. I think that's so smart because if you do that, you know, even, even once a week, all year, you're probably going to get better at it than just practicing. A hundred percent agree. And I mean, kind of taking a step back, you know, going to before, you know, this method uh, and going into, you know, where it was one person that could throw the draw the button all the time, right? And then they changed it to, you know, every player has to throw two. You know, when we were going into that, before we had to, you know, go through it and experience it, let's say at Briar, we would start practicing earlier in the year or even during slams where we didn't have to, where, you know, I would throw, you know, a couple of draws and Ryan would throw a couple of draws and Mark, just because we wanted to get ourselves used to having to do that in the bigger events where it was required. And I don't think this is any different, Kevin, and, and, and to your point, I, I truly believe the way that we prepare and practice and train has come a long way uh, as Canadian teams, but I think there's a lot of room for improvement and some things that we can take in learning from the world teams in terms of how they prepare 
regardless of the fact that maybe not all four members are together at the same time, that's going to allow us to become better and be more comfortable with some of the kind of different rule changes that have been put in place and will continue to be there uh, for the next number of years. Okay, EJ. So let's stay on Olympics for a minute, and we'll put you out on the on the limb here. Let's we'll, we'll take Canada the mix. If if we aren't picking Canada, and you look at the men's and the women's so far from what you've seen, and you had to pick a winner, who would you pick on the men's side, and who would you pick on the women's side if it wasn't Canada? If it wasn't Canada, um, I'm going to go on the men's side with uh, Sweden, uh, and on the women's side, I'm going to go with um, Switzerland. Okay, good choices. So you're overlooking Bruce, the the buzzsaw Bruce Mowat, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? Um, you know, and and my rationale there is, you know, basically Bruce's performance at at World Championships. Um, this is his first Olympics, and you know, we talked about the pressure that comes with being at the Olympics. Obviously, greater in Canada than I think any other country. But Bruce has been really hyped up as, and, and rightfully so, as the team to beat. And so, you know, I'll be interested to, to see how he and team handles that, um, assuming they get to the playoff round. And I think Nicholas has proven time and time again that not only is he a great player and his team is, is um, flawless and, and, and extremely strong as well, but he knows and has shown his ability to win the big games on the biggest stage. And um, he also ha- doesn't have an Olympic gold medal. He has two other colors with one missing. And I think, you know, Nicholas is extremely uh, driven to make that that medal gold uh, and, and get past the silver and bronze. So I'm interested to see how everything goes. But if I had to pick I, right now, that's my rationale for, for Sweden and, and Nicholas taking home gold. Yeah, probably pretty good. Uh analysis of what's taking place there and uh, and i'd have to agree so let's talk about your team for a minute so you played the northern El- or northern ontario playdowns but you remind us mark kennedy who, who replaced mark and is he coming back to play with you in the briar yeah so uh obviously mark's uh with uh with team canada and helping there at the olympics uh and you know when when we went through all that our provincials were were supposed to be before mark had a leave for for quarantine and so obviously plans changed, um, but Jordan Chandler, he came and he played, he was in the house, um, so calling line for Brad, um, but throwing second stones. I continued to sweep and, and threw third stones. And Jordan is someone that we've uh, we've beaten uh, in a couple provincial finals uh, over the years here in Northern Ontario. Always a really strong, great player and someone we've always really got along with um, on the ice and off the ice and, and just a really good person overall. Uh, so we asked Jordan if he'd come and play with us, and he fit in extremely well. We, obviously, you know, as we talked about earlier, we were able to kind of sneak out that win. And then Jordan's actually going to come with us as our fifth uh, to the Briar, and, and Mark's going to uh, come back from the Olympics and, and slot back in at third, and we'll have our regular lineup. So let's talk about the Briar a little bit farther. So for the second year in a row, it's going to be structured a little differently than it has been. It's going to have 18 teams in it. Three of those teams are going to come from the ranking system, the 14 from the Provincial Territorial Associations and Team Canada. How do you like the 18-team idea versus the 16-team or 14? What, what, what would you like to see? The, the format and the makeup that I like the best, you know, I have a little bit of bias here, is um, the original format and, and original makeup of no Team Canada, Team Northern Ontario, no wild card spots. And that's maybe just like a purist at, at heart. <laughs> I just think right now we're in a really awkward stage with with the Briar and it feels like we're trying to kind of 
do two different things where we're, you know, we want it to be a true Canadian championship, but we want, you know, to make sure kind of the best teams are in it so that, it, you know, so it, it feels like we're in a little bit of an awkward kind of stage here, uh, transition stage. And so I think it works, but I, I think, that, you know, over the next couple of years, in order to try the truly kind of help the sport grow at, you know, the elite level, but also at the, you know, lower levels as well, I think the briar kind of needs to go through a little bit of an overhaul and, and figure out what its purpose is in the sport um, as an event. Is it truly your Canadian championship um, or is it still like, you know, uh, a championship that can reside outside of what will be, I guess, you know, Canadian championship where there's no provinces involved and it's just your top X amount of teams uh, across the country. So long way of answering it, but my favorite kind of makeup is is more of the traditional format um, versus where we're at now. Well, one, one question for EJ, uh, a kind of an obvious uh, question when you want to go back to the tradition, traditional play, which of course I played in briars like that a lot. Um, and I don't, I don't disagree with you if, if the Briar wishes to do that. I guess if you're going to go back to that uh, structure, should the Briar winner even go to Worlds then? Because now you're missing a ton of your best teams. If you're from a province that has six good teams and only one can get in, you, you, you've really watered down the field. So I guess the question I would ask is, in that case, should the Briar winner go to the Worlds? You, you could have the Briar that way as an amateur championship but i guess how do you send a team out of the watered down event to a worlds yeah and i don't disagree with you kevin and i think that's the hard challenge for for curling canada right now right and and you know looking at our, our sport like holistically is it the briar is the staple event you know of our sport outside of the olympics year in and year out right and and there's a lot of tradition. So, for example, my personal opinion is, you know, if, if you were to make the Briar a true Canadian championship, no provinces, you know, uh, involved, it's just your top teams. And, and therefore, you have your quote unquote, you know, potential best representative with all the top teams there in your Canadian championship. And it's the Briar. There's a massive rebranding strategy and, and investment probably that has to go in that because I think there's a lot of tradition that comes with the briar in terms of, you know, those that are actually there in the seat watching. A lot of that, my personal opinion, comes from cheering for their province, regardless of who is actually there representing it um, because of that uh, tradition. So I don't disagree with you. I just think there's there comes a point where they'll probably have to go one way or the other and kind of commit to that you know, there's a lot of kind of dominoes that fall out of that as well. So it's, that's why I say it's a little bit in my, from my perspective, it's in a little bit of a transition stage, because I think we're trying to do a little bit of, of both to satisfy, you know, different areas. And, and yeah, I, I still think we're a little ways off. We're on the fence. <laughs> yeah. I think you make a great point. It's kind of lost in the middle somewhere and it's got to go one way or the other back to the traditional start, like you're talking about or going forward into a, a the best teams period. So I think you're right, EJ. That's a great point. Cause here's the thing too, right? It's like, well, obviously I'm, I'm competing at, at the highest level and I'm a, one of those players that is fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, but there, we also need to think about the sport as a whole and the growth and that there is something there for others that are coming up to strive to, to compete, to want to play in or be a part of. 
So I, I think that's, again, we need to be careful of, of how, you know, some of the decisions that are made and where we go with this, because we also want to make sure that there is the right levels and structures in place that will enable our sport to grow and have, you know, continuous involvement uh, from, you know, especially at the younger ages uh, to get them encouraged to want to play and continue to play because, you know, you get to the point of having to choose between university education and curling or occupation and curling. I mean, I think personally, you're starting to see, unfortunately, loss of athletes in our sport because of that. And that's where, again, it's just having to be careful in the decisions that are made that we're we're not just making decisions that are going to benefit, you know, the top level. It needs to benefit the sport as a whole as well. I totally agree with that. Um, and that's why I think it has to change because having uh, EJ Harnden go to 13 Briars, you're not helping the young people in Northern Ontario or having uh, Grattan go to, I don't know how many he's been to now, or uh, Gushu going to whatever he's been to, 19 of them or something. Um, and so you get to all these provinces and these good curlers, like a Jennifer Jones in the women's, you name, I could name lots, who are blocking all the young people from getting to go onto any kind of a stage. So that's exactly the problem I see. I see the way it is traditionally is a complete blockage for the young people coming up. So I, I think that's exactly what's stopping the growth of curling is actually <laughs> the keeping it traditional for the growth of curling is actually choking out the young people curling. Somebody like Zacharias in Manitoba, had they not went to a million wild cards and, and had Jennifer go to, uh, to the Olympics, she might not have got to a, a stage till she was 38 years old. That doesn't help. But I also don't think it, uh, this to me extends beyond you know, currently Canada events as well. I mean, the slams to me are, are, are another area where that there needs to be changes made so that you have, yes, you have that one, you know, tier two, uh, you know, the, the tier one, tier two events, but to be able to have a few more of those, because even when you look at the slams, it's, it's not much different, right? It's, it's a lot of the same teams that are playing day in, you know, uh, event after event. Um, and so that's kind of, that's part of that feeding ground as well. So I, I think, again, a, a holistic approach in terms of what, how we're looking at things across the board, where there's Grand Slams, Curling Canada, I agree that there's areas that need to be improved or could be improved so that we're, we're looking at the, we're looking after, you know, the, the growth of our game as well. Now, don't shoot the messenger here, EJ. Okay. With, with this question, but it's, it's often asked, um, where people say, why is Ontario uh, so lucky that they get divided up into two different areas. That there's a northern Ontario. How come other provinces can't do to that? They can't do that. And I said, okay, I'll ask EJ. <laughs> yeah, no, <I'm> gonna... <laughs> <laughs> hey Jimmy, that's a good one. And I'm gonna have the answer, right? I don't. You know what? I uh, the, from what I've been, I don't have the 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 answer. Uh, maybe you know that's uh, that's a question for for curling Canada, um, but. <laughs> I, I know that Northern Ontario has been a part of, of the Briar, I, I believe, since 1927. And, and from what I've been told, you know, just the, the sheer size of the province in terms of geography, right? You know, the distance uh, to travel, I believe, is, is why it was put in place in, in 1927. Because, I mean, even for myself, to drive from Sault Ste. Marie to, you know, to Thunder Bay or, or to Kenora, you know, you're in the car for 10, almost to 14 hours, um, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the rationale that, uh, I believe was, 
in place when they when they made the decision uh, way back when was it was just based on the sheer size of of, of uh, Ontario and its geography. So that's that's the best answer I have. <laughs> well, I think it's pretty good. Look at a map, people, and you'll see uh, what he's talking about. Uh, before we go, EJ, I, you know, when I was doing the briar patch and you guys uh, came in, uh, I remember the talk of the town was, look at the size of these guys uh, physically. Uh, and, and it was the first time people looked up and went, oh, my God, these guys all look like bodybuilders. Uh, and then uh, that, that trend kind of uh, was set. And you can see other teams right now that, that guys are jacked. Was that something you guys made a conscious decision about uh, that you had to hit the gym and, and lift weights like maniacs <laughs> coming in? How did that all happen? No, you know what? I think two different things. I, I actually think, you know, um, not just because I'm on the show, but I actually think Kevin and his team kind of started that, you know, with, with John and Ben and, and, and Mark. They're all of them in being really good shape and, and seeing the kind of and hearing about time and the effort, the time and effort that they were putting in. And so I think it, we were coming, kind of coming up when that was happening. And so we kind of just embraced it and continued to maybe evolve it a little bit, I would say. And the other piece is that all of us kind of came from, from different athletic backgrounds as well, right? So like myself and Ryan, uh, we grew up before curling, playing rep tournament hockey, um, playing all other different sports and, and different um, you know elements of athletics. So it, that's kind of ingrained in in a lot of you know other sports maybe a little bit more than it was with curling so it was just kind of always a part of our training um and then i you know think it kind of naturally evolved from there and and we're proud to be kind of a part of that coming you know learning from kevin and, and his team and evolving it and maybe taking it to a little bit of a, a a new level and and if anyone kind of attributes some of that to to our team you know whether that's true or not uh, we're grateful for it and i think it's just nice to see where our sport is today versus even you know 10 years ago and and i think it's going to continue to evolve which it should right uh, like any sport uh, would and should when you guys came into the patch uh and i said look at the size of these guys i was on the mic i said uh, okay take your shirts off fellas and you turned to me and went get out of my face <laughs> I'm not doing that. but ryan fry absolutely ripped his shirt open like superman yeah, he's like here yeah. you go man it was it was it was terrific and I will say just quickly on that too, actually just sharing the Olympic story when we were at the Olympics and kind of, you know, walking through the, the village and meeting some of the other athletes, no one thought we were curlers. Like they, you know, people were guessing, uh, you know, we were bobsledders, we were this or that. And when we told them we were curlers, they kind of gave us a little bit of a look. So I think that, you know, that was, that was a nice little surprise, but uh, yeah, it's, it's great to see where, where our sport is at now. And um, like you said, you kind of take a peek uh, of the players and the both male, male and female on the ice. And uh, it looks very different, which is, I think a really good thing. Thanks a lot. EJ Harnden has been our guest. Uh, your team is on the way to the Briar. Congratulations to, uh, Brad Jacob and the rest of your team and uh, we wish you all the best uh, EJ thanks a lot for coming on it and, and good luck in the bracket thank you guys really appreciate it hey thanks a lot EJ good luck thanks EJ good luck thanks guys have a good day thanks again Okay, time to pull up a rocking chair. Uh, Warren, we're going to hear another story from Kevin, and we do it each and every show. Storytime is brought to you by Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners and proud sponsor of the Grand Slam 
of curling. All right, Kev, what do you got for us this week? What's your story? Well, this is a good one. And, and uh, you, you speak of Meridian Manufacturing. And, and uh, during these years, Meridian was with our team. So Sid Lockhart from Meridian, he's going to love this story. So uh, it's great that it's, it's brought to you by Meridian because Meridian's going to love this. Uh, this has to do with jewels. So in the 2010 Olympics, try to keep the stories to the Olympics because, of course, we're in the middle of the Olympics. In 2010, so Jules had been coaching me at that point for about 25 years, and he wanted a big favor in the final of the Olympics in Vancouver. He said, Skippy, Skippy, during this game, you've got to promise that you'll call a timeout because Jules had never come out on the ice in timeouts. If we call a timeout, John and I, or back in the day, Don Walchuk and I would discuss the situation. The team would get together and we decide what we're going to do. But Jules would never come on the ice. But he wanted us to set up a timeout and then Jules would come out on the ice. Okay. And he can get his 30 seconds of fame in front of a huge Olympic audience worldwide. So that's a, it. We, we got her set up. Okay. So in the seventh end of the final, there's not much going on. I'm a couple of rocks in play, but there's certainly no reason for a timeout. John says, uh, Hey, Kevin, I think it's time for a timeout. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Timeout, timeout, timeout. So uh, the umpire comes out, of course, wondering why, why, why are we calling a timeout? Makes no sense. But anyway, whatever. Comes out and he asked, ask, do you want your coach to come out? Absolutely. We want coach to come out. And then, then the official knew what was going on. He knew that the gig was, oh. So, of course, he goes, yep, I'll go get Jules. Okay. So he heads to get Jules for the timeout. And the timeout doesn't start until the coach makes it down from the from where they are down the stairs and then out to the ice surface. It takes about forty five seconds, maybe a minute, for the coach to get out there. So anyway, we're just standing there waiting for for Jules to make his big entrance and in, in the final. And anyway, so umpire's not coming back. And umpire's not coming back. Where's Jules? Anyway, so the umpire comes out to us and says, uh, uh, "Kevin." Um, can't, can't find Jules. <laughs> so sure enough, Jules, I guess because the end wasn't very interesting, he went down the stairs and instead of, he went to, out to the cafeteria to get a donut and some coffee. <laughs> so they couldn't find what him. A coach. So we just had to keep, I said, well, forget it then. We, we'll just keep going. And so we had to, we, we used up our time out and Jules never got his 30 seconds of fame at the 2010 Olympics. And that was a big, that was a big deal that Jules wanted to have that time out, but he was busy getting a donut and coffee. That is so funny. Where, where's the coach? <laughs> oh, he's having a snack, you know, he's got he's to get a little sustenance here before the end of the game. Uh, great stuff, Kevin. I love that story. You're giving, you're going to give teams, Kevin, a really good idea. Take a timeout and then bring your whole family on for 30 seconds. <laughs> bring everyone on. Uh, that's great. Uh, thanks a lot uh, to uh, Meridian uh, for bringing us story time. Okay, boys, well done. Uh, during a week when you guys must be exhausted with uh, everything you're doing uh, around uh, the games in Beijing, and uh, we got we got a few more days to go to wrap up that, and uh, we thank everyone for tuning into The Daily Show and, of course, our weekly show. Inside Curling is reaching out to curling clubs all over the world and inviting you to contact us and set up a one-hour Zoom call with myself, Kevin, and Warren to discuss anything you like. Uh, please keep in mind we're doing it on a limited basis to see how it goes and if this is something uh, Inside Curling should consider to offer going forward. So let us know. We also want to uh, extend a big thank you to Rod Paulson who handles all of our Facebook, our page, and our Facebook group. 
Uh, it's been terrific and very lively. If you haven't joined, uh, why don't you join now? And uh, we're, we get four or 500 people every week or two um, joining. And uh, Warren, you're, you keep a close eye on all this stuff. Uh, and we love everyone's input. So join the conversation. You want to email us, do it. Insidecurling at gmail.com. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and again, finally, a reminder, until the uh, Olympics ends, we're going to give you a daily show. It's called Daily Draw. It comes on about 1 o'clock Eastern with everything that's going on at the Games. Kev, back to bed for you. Warren, back to bed for you. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long morning. <laughs> we had some technical issues, folks. So if, if you love this show, thank the editor. Okay. <laughs> take, it, take it easy, Kev. We'll talk to you later, Warren. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.